Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Last week we started talking about the priority commandment. The priority commandment. It's nice with all of the 613 laws in the Old Testament, the directions in the New Testament for Jesus to summarize what is the priority for Jesus to summarize what is the foundation. Matthew chapter 22. This is what he says, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law, and the prophets. So Jesus tells us, here is the priority. Here is what is foundational to everything else. To love God with all of your heart. That's the sum total of who you are in the Scripture. The sum total of your will, your passion. To love God with all your heart and all your soul. That's what we're talking about today. And next week, to love God with all of your mind. And we mentioned last week, why on earth would God command us to love Him? That seems odd. Command us to worship Him, I understand. Command us to obey Him, that makes total sense. But it seems odd for a God to command love from the people that He created. But what did we remember from 1 John chapter 4? That we love because God first loved us and God is love. Meaning every relationship that He has is a relationship that is based on love. So your relationship with God is not based on your obedience to God. Your relationship with God is not based on your worship of God. Your relationship with God is at its foundational roots is a relationship that is based on love. Because everything that you give Him in return, whatever it is, should be motivated out of love that He has first given you. And He is our Father. He's not trying to manipulate feelings out of you today. He's not trying to twist your arm into loving Him back. He is our Father, and every father in the room wants to be loved by their children. He loves us first, unconditionally, but He commands that love to be returned to Him. But it's hard to evaluate, I don't know if you've thought of it recently, it's hard to evaluate how much you love God. Again, It's hard to love God in a way that maybe we would love a person because we can't see Him. How do I know how much I'm loving Him? And definitely, how do I know I'm loving Him with all of my heart? Well, thankfully, that's not a new question. In fact, over 1,500 years ago, St. Augustine was dealing with the same exact question, so he came up with a test. He's a smarter man than I am, so I'm going to borrow, but he's been dead for a long time. I think we're good, right? So 1,500 years ago, St. Augustine comes up with this test. Let's say, hypothetically, God comes to you today... You're at church this morning. Um, you're going to go to lunch after this probably because that's also in the scripture. Come to church, go to lunch. And then the third part of the Sunday morning trinity is take a nap. Go to church, go to lunch, take a nap. And let's say in your nap, out of obedience to Jesus, you're on the couch or in your bed, whatever your style is, and you have a dream. It's a very real dream. You know it's a holy dream. God is speaking to you through this dream. And he says, I want to make a deal with you. I want you to make your wish list. 
and you're blown away by this because how often do you get to do this? I want you to make your wish list whatever you want. I'm going to do it for you. Now, we're all going to start out real humble at first, aren't we? World peace, love, you know, and then you're going to list off a few friends, people who are going through some needs right now. And then about halfway through the list, you're going to kind of go, okay, I've exhausted all of my humility. I want a billion dollars. I want a brand new car every three months. I want to live in a palatial estate. You know, lots of, you know, people around serving me. I want to be a yes, sir, yes, ma'am, uh, kind of boss, a person, right? We would get to that place. And let's say God isn't even put off by our selfishness because we have half humility, half selfishness. And he's like, no, listen, I made a deal with you. You ask whatever you want and you submit your list. And he says, here's the catch though. Here's the trade. I will give you everything that you want, but you can never see my face. St. Augustine said that twinge of disappointment that you felt is the degree that you love God. And if you don't believe this, just replace God in the hypothetical situation with somebody that you do know for sure that you love. Maybe a spouse, maybe a mom or a dad. Uh, your kids, maybe a friend. Make your wish list. The humble part, the selfish part, the whole part. Make your wish list. You get whatever you want, but you can't ever see your wife again. You can't ever see your roommate again. Some of you are like, amen, right? Uh, <laughs> you can't ever see that friend again. You can't see your mom again. You can't see your dad again. That twinge of disappointment is the degree that you love them. And hopefully in your marriage, you would be like, there would be no dollar amount that I'd be willing to trade for my spouse. There would be no dollar amount. There would be no amount of things that I'd be given that I could make, turn my back on my children. Now, some of us are kind of evaluating our friends right now and be like, for you know, a million, I'd yeah, never see that person again. For two million, that person, right? A dollar signs are going up over everybody's head right now. Right? But to the degree that you would be willing to sacrifice your wish list in order to keep relationship with God, that is the degree that you love God. And this is what God has commanded you. So last week we looked at what it meant to love God with all of our heart. And today we're looking at what it means to love God with all of our soul. The word soul, if you were to see the Greek word transliterated into English, it is the word psyche. Your soul in the scripture is the inner you. Now, we're not going to get tied up in hard line definitions here between heart, soul, and mind. We clearly know that Jesus is talking about the totality of us, that we are to love God with all of us, heart, soul, and mind. But he does use these three, and so it is important to look at. So your soul is the inner you. If you're having a hard time plugging into that, if you just take away your skin, your organs, your bones, take all that stuff away, what is left is your soul. Your soul is what animates your physical body. It's your feelings. It's your emotions. It's your thinking. It's all the inner you. In the scripture, your soul can be restored. Your soul, your soul can be redeemed. It can praise. Your soul can be bitter. Your soul can be filled with joy. Your soul can be downcast. Your soul can be overwhelmed. And your soul can be saved. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25 tells us that Jesus is the uh, the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Uh, and here's the main point. This is a really simple main point today. This is where we're going. This is where we're going to end. Your soul was made to love God. So take care of it. 
That's it. That's what we're doing today. Your soul, the inner you, the you disattached from your skin and your bones, your organs, that you was made to love God. So take care of your soul. Take care of your inner man. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, just a few pages to the right. Mark chapter 8. Now, the first stop for many of us is to be reminded that we have a soul, that we have an inner person, that we have an inner life. See, most of us live in the rhythm of tasks, move from thing to thing to thing. So, like when you come home from work, your roommate or your spouse or your mom or your dad, they say, uh, what'd you do today? Never in the history of the world, at least not this world that I live in, has anyone go gone... Um, well, I was really reflecting on the condition of my soul today. Right? Like, no one has said that. Right? What do we do with, say, when somebody asks us, what did you do today? Well, I went to work, and here's what I did at work, and then I did that, and then I went and did this thing, and then I went and had lunch, and then I did that, and then I ran that errand, right? And then I took the kids here, and then I dropped off, and then we went and did this, and we went to the grocery store. Right? We live in this rhythm of tasks, and most of us, it's been a while since we even reflected, holy cow, there is an inner us. There is a soul inside of me, and that soul needs to be taken care of. Look how valuable your soul is here. Mark chapter 8, this is what Jesus is going to say. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So what Jesus is saying here, if you look at it closely, he's saying that your soul is worth more than the whole world. So I did a little research. What I wanted to know is how valuable is the whole world. So I went to this amazing website. I don't know if you've heard of it yet. It's called Google. And I typed in Google. What is the world worth? And it brings up a lot of websites, but the number one website ranked on Google to the question of what is the whole world worth was this amazing website. I know you haven't heard of this. This is a brand new one. Wikipedia. (laughs) This is the level of scholarship we're dealing with this morning. (laughs) Wikipedia has a lot of legit looking things on it. And I click on the link and it takes me to the gross domestic product GDP for all you geniuses out there. GDP of the global economy. You even have little footnotes. That's how I know that I was uh, safe to bring it up today. Uh, again, because of credibility, Wikipedia, Google, you see the train of how we got here. The gross domestic product of the whole world is, according to the internet, $85 trillion. Now that sounded about right to me. The footnotes look secure on that. $85 trillion, which I don't need to tell you, is an incredible amount of money. And what Jesus is saying is your soul is worth more than $85 trillion. But not one of us really believes that. In fact, most of us have things in our home that are more valuable than our souls. When I was a boy, I got for my birthday one year a signed Nolan Ryan baseball. Nolan Ryan, famous baseball player. He autographed this baseball. Somebody put it in a glass case, and my parents bought it. They gave it to me for my birthday. 
probably 10 years old or something like this, uh, I still have that ball with me. Now, that's, it's not that valuable, really. I mean, you could go to the mall today and maybe spend less than $100 for an autographed Nolan Ryan baseball. He's probably signed thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of baseballs in his lifetime as a professional baseball player. His signature is not rare. So while I'm eternally grateful to my parents for buying it, buying it for me, it's not that valuable to me today. I couldn't sell it to you probably. You would, you know, maybe give me five bucks for it, but that's about it. And yet that ball has followed me around my whole life. When I left Missouri to move to Houston, when I was in college, after Amanda and I got engaged, I brought the ball with me. I had a 1994 Eagle Talon. You don't know what kind of car this is. It was a 16-year-old girl sports car, very small. Uh, I don't know why I owned it, but I did. Had a little, you know, fancy hatchback. I put all of my stuff in there, which easily fit into a 16 16-year-old girl sports car. So you can see how much stuff I moved to Texas with, and yet among the stuff that I brought was the glass case with the Nolan Ryan baseball in it. When the house that I lived in here in Houston, Texas, my first year was condemned by the city, I had to find a new house. Man and I had been married, just gotten married right as it was getting condemned, and so uh, we moved to an apartment. In our first apartment, we have all that new, you just got married stuff, gifts from people, and the Nolan Ryan baseball. We later moved to Dallas-Fort Worth. In the townhome that we rented in Dallas-Fort Worth was the baseball. Then we bought a home, a fixer-upper, remodeled it, moved all of our stuff in it, bought new stuff. The baseball went there. Eventually, we moved back to Houston. We've been here six uh, years or so now. The baseball is in my home. I've seen it this week. And all of us have those things that we have cherished, that we have taken care of, that we bring with us. They're valuable to us, and if we're being honest, most of us give more care to the things in our home than we do our own soul. So the idea that our soul is worth more than $85 trillion is a spiritual truth. It is not a real truth to most of us. It may be spiritually relevant. It's not actually that relevant to the way that you're going to live your life tomorrow, but Jesus is straightening us out here. He's saying, no, you, your soul... The inner you. There's not a trade that you can make that would be an even trade. Your soul is the most valuable thing on planet Earth. So take care of it. Now, I know many today have come and you have never thought about what is going to happen to your soul after this flesh and bone disintegrate because you have more than enough evidence to know that it will death is coming for all of us physically but your soul is going to live on eternally and your soul is valuable jesus says it's the most valuable thing on planet earth you should take the time to consider your most valuable possessions future thankfully the scripture shows us how to do that i want you to turn to psalm chapter 20 Four, Psalm chapter 24. You know, there's a reason. There's a reason that most of us don't reflect on our souls. Because as I mentioned earlier, when we begin to look inside of us, into the emotional us, into the inner workings, it's a war zone in there for most of us. I want, to, I want you to see what Psalm 24 says, verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? 
Look at this. He who has, a clean, has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. And then look at chapter 25, verse 1, just a few verses from there. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. So the scripture is saying that it's possible for you to lift up your soul. Now this is submission language. This is offering language. So what the scripture is saying is that we should not lift up our souls. We should not offer our souls. We should not submit our souls to things that are false. But what we should submit ourselves to, submit our soul to, what we should offer our soul to is the Lord. And what I want to suggest to you is because when we go to look inside of us, it is a war zone for most of us. We end up offering our souls, we end up submitting our souls to the brokenness that is inside of us and the brokenness that is around us. Because when you go to reflect on who you are on the inside, what do you find in there? Past pain, past failure, past mistakes. Somebody asked me recently, the earliest memory that I had where I could either remember that I was a success or a failure. And I didn't have to think about it for long. I instantly had an example as far back as I can remember. Uh, I went back to the third grade. And in the third grade, we had to, in PE class, take the presidential physical fitness test. Anybody remember these? Raise your hand. I need some support here. Yeah. So if you're new to planet Earth, uh, the presidential physical fitness test was a test given to uh, students in elementary schools in the uh, 80s and 90s, uh, where the government wanted to make sure that all the kids are physically fit, which sounds amazing. And so they would have these series of tests, and one was like a sprint, and one was a shuttle run, one was, the, I think, the mile, and, and there was maybe a sit-up kind of thing. And when I was in the third grade, there was the long jump. And so I took these tests, you know, third grade, never done this before, really don't understand what's happening. The next week, show up to PE, and the coach pulls me and a couple of other kids aside, and he hands me a red patch that said, the presidential physical fitness test award I had achieved and what was even better about achieving was that none of the other kids in my class achieved right so I knew that I was a success that's a terrible person I already admitted I'm a mess right so we're fine so I, I, I cherish this little red patch you know from the president through a long series of handoffs Fourth grade comes around, same season. It's time for the presidential physical fitness test. I'm good, man. Now I know what's happening. So not only am I just trying to pass, I'm trying to really pass. I'm trying to achieve. We do all the, we do the sprint, we do the long distance, we do the sit-ups. It comes time for the last test, the long jump. But there is no long jump. They have replaced the long jump with the sit and reach. Now the sit and reach... For some reason, the government thought, do we want to test children's strength of legs and power and agility, or do we want to see if they're flexible? And I don't know why, but they would rather you be flexible than powerful in your lower regions. Um, So the problem is that if you ask me right now to bend down and touch my toes, I Without bending my knees, I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. It would be impossible. My uh, hamstrings uh, are made of pure masculine steel. And so there's no, there's no flexibility in there at, at all whatsoever. And so uh, they don't care about that. And so they made me sit down. You know, and your whole class is watching. And I'm feeling the pressure of last year's red, uh, you know, patch and award winner. And they're asking me to push this little thing past my feet 
to measure how far I can reach, and I, like I can, I can, you know, touch my knees, and that's about it, and I failed right there, and the whole class knew I failed, and you would think that, you know, all these years later, like, I still wouldn't be bothered by the fact that I won one patch, and never again, but I am, I am, it makes me mad right now at the president, you know, I don't even know what president that was back then, but I'm mad at him, I'm mad. But when you go in to look at what's in you on the inside, when you start reflecting on your soul, those are the kinds of things that you find. You find success, absolutely, but you find a lot of shortcoming. You find a lot of time when you reached out for something and you failed. You didn't measure up. You find a lot of pain. You find a, find a lot of hurt. And what the scripture would encourage us to do is to make sure that we are not chained that we've not chained our soul to those things because most of us have. Most of us have chained our soul to the brokenness inside. That's why many of us, especially us men, we don't ever reflect on what's inside because we don't like to deal with what's inside and it's easier to ignore it. It's easier to just gloss over it than to come to terms with it. But your soul can't be free and your soul is not taken care of if you're just willing to let a few past mistakes dictate the future of your soul and dictate the health of your soul. Don't let let your failure dictate your future. Don't let your past dictate your future. Don't let some mistake that you made a long time ago dictate your future. Don't let some wound that happened to you dictate your future. We lift up our soul to the Lord not to that brokenness. And what happens when you offer your soul to the Lord, He begins, begins to take that brokenness and put things back in place. He's the one who does that. Amanda and I were talking this week that uh, you know we've just kind of walked through some not fun things and um, just trying to put words around it. I don't know if you've been in that season where it's like something happens to you and you can feel it, but you can't describe it. And I think the best metaphor that we came up with the other night is it feels like somebody dropped a bomb on the inside of us and all the pieces are still there, just nothing is where it should be. And you go to reach for this part of you and it's not there. And you go to pray and the function of prayer is there, but it doesn't feel like there's anybody on the other end. You go to kind of do what you always do and you go through the motions, but there's no heart in it. And, and what that is, is the brokenness of this world and the brokenness inside of you dictating and dictating in me the way that we're going to live our lives. But when you lift up your soul to the Lord, He takes what has been broken and He puts it back into place. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. And this is where we'll finish. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when he talks about those who are labored and who are heavy laden, he's obviously not talking physically because what does he promise? He promises rest for your soul. It's a picture, um, the labored and heavy laden, it's a picture of somebody carrying a a huge uh, bag, uh, just a very heavy bag, and we all can kind of picture that in our minds. Um, You know, uh, my daughter Annabeth, who's four, she likes to ride on my shoulders. You know, and that's a great dad privilege, right? And uh, so we'll be walking in a long parking lot or at the zoo or somewhere like that, and she'll look up to me, and I know she got this one look, which is like, pick me up. And so I pick her up, put her on my shoulders, and I got her little legs, you know, right here. so sweet, and we'll walk. Well, Annabeth's problem is that she doesn't uh, know and is not able to discern when it is appropriate to do that and when it is not appropriate to do that. Like at the zoo, appropriate. In the parking lot, appropriate. On the couch, not appropriate. And yet this is the weekly routine at our house. I'll be sitting on the couch watching some kind of game and, and she'll come and sit next to me and she'll act real sweet and uh, kind and, and I like that. And then she stands up on the couch and she tries to move real slow like I'm not understanding what's getting ready to happen. And then, you know, I'm sitting against the couch, but the couches are kind of cushy. And, uh, and so she'll squeeze back as far as she can, kind of slide behind me. And then I'll feel one leg coming up around my shoulders. And then here comes the other leg. And so I sit and watch TV, a uh, basketball game on the couch with a four-year-old just hanging out on my neck. And this is the weekly routine at our house. So I don't know if you're having a hard time picturing somebody carrying a heavy weight. You can picture the bag or you can picture a man on the couch with a four-year-old wrapped around his neck. Either one is heavy laden and burdened. And Jesus, I think, would look at us this morning. And I I think I can say this with as much confidence as I have ever been able to say anything at this church. That what he would see in us is souls pressed down. Souls weighed down. Souls carrying heavy burdens. What he would diagnose if he were in the room this morning, and he is in the room through the Spirit of God, what he would diagnose in most of us is a weighed down and weighted soul. A soul that is laboring. Why? Because what happens? We only know one way of dealing with things. Listen, life is hard. Amen? Amen. Life is hard. Sometimes we make it hard and sometimes it, is, it just is hard. Life is hard and so something happens at work and you've worked there a long time. You've got a lot of seniority but the economy's got a question mark over it and what's going to happen and you're hearing some rumors here and there. What do we do? We do the only thing we know to do which is you just take it in. You get a note home from school, something is happening with your kids, they're not achieving the way that they should, maybe they're not acting in the way that they should, so what do you do? You take it in. Maybe you're having some conflict with a friend and relationships are not going well, and what do you do? You take it in. Maybe you're you're having some some issues with your, your marriage and it's just not clicking on all cylinders and you're really feeling some deep things, but your marriage is not the place where you can talk about those deep things, and so what do you do? You take it in. You're trying to transition from, you know, taking care of your adult children. They're moving out of the house. And now you're trying to start to transition to taking care of your parents. And that's a weird transition. And so what do you do? You take it in. 
And for most of our lives, all we've done is just take and put in all of these burdens which come because life is hard and we just hang them on our souls. Sure, we'll try to find releases. We'll try to take a vacation every now and then. Maybe some of us turn to alcohol. Maybe some of us turn to prescription pills. Maybe some of us have a couple of friends and they are our outlet. Some of us turn to routines. We don't ever break our routine and that is the way to deal with the heaviness of our soul. But look what Jesus says. He says, if you are labored, if you have a laboring soul this morning, if you are heavy laden, if it feels like not only is there a four-year-old, but there's a 50-year-old hanging around your neck weighing you down, come to Jesus and he will give you rest. That's a promise. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So this is not a message where it's your soul is heavy and life is hard, so just come to Jesus and he will make everything easy. If you come to Jesus, he will take away all your burdens. If you come to Jesus, he will take away all your stress. No, in fact, Jesus himself says, you come to me, I'm going to take your stress and I'm going to put some new stress on you. I'm going to take your burden and I'm going to put a new burden on you, but it's my burden. And my burden is light. It's his yoke. That's a picture of what you put on an oxen so the oxen can pull the plow. Now remember, 1 Peter chapter 2, what did it say? Verse 25, that Jesus is the chief shepherd and overseer of your soul. Meaning he is the one who decides what burdens you will carry and what burdens you won't. He has interceded for you as far as what your soul should carry. There will be a yoke. There will be a burden. There will be a responsibility. But it's responsibility dictated by him. It's a burden dictated by him. Not by the world. Not by the brokenness inside of you. Not by the brokenness inside of anybody else. So you're at your job. It's a question mark hanging over it. Maybe you would have in the past just taken that in. Let your soul carry the weight of that. But now you remember, oh, I have a a, a chief shepherd and overseer of my soul, so I'm going to take this burden to him. And you pray. You tell him everything you're thinking and everything you're feeling. The pros, the cons, you tell him everything. And he may hand you a burden back. In fact, I would guess that he will. The responsibility to work hard in that job, no matter what's going to happen. The responsibility in that job to honor those who are over authority in you. The responsibility of of caring for those who you work with. He will hand you that burden. What he will take away from you is the burden of anxiety about what's going to happen in the future for you. He's clearly said in Philippians chapter 4 that he doesn't want you to carry that burden. See, what he did is your chief shepherd and your overseer, he filtered out unnecessary burdens for your soul. Maybe you do get a note home from school and it is terrifying to you because you're afraid that your child is not normal. Listen, we all say that we don't want our children to be normal. We want them to be exceptional. We don't want them just fitting in. We we want them to be unique. And the, the truth is that you are a liar. Everybody wants their kid to be normal. And you maybe are getting some evidence that maybe your kid is not and you're worried about it. Where before you would have taken that burden and you would have just hung it on your soul. You remember I have an overseer and I have a shepherd for my soul. I'm going to take that burden to him and you're going to pour out your heart. You're going to pour out your complaint. You're going to pour out your fear. You're going to pour out your anxiety to him, your shepherd, your overseer. 
And he may hand you a burden back, which he will. He may hand you a yoke back to love your children unconditionally the way that he loves you. To care for your children unconditionally. To give your children every opportunity to be who God has made them to be. And he will filter out the burden and the labor of fitting in with everyone else. And he will filter out the burden and labor of everyone else's expectations for your child. This is not just a burden-free existence. What he removes from us is burdens dictated by anybody else. No one can hang anything around your neck. There is no yoke that you have to wear that does not come from your shepherd and overseer. He will filter out the heaviness of your burdens and he will give you rest and when your soul is rested it is well taken care of and when your soul is taken care of it is free to love God which is what your soul was made for let's pray God I thank you for every soul in the room and I pray that we would deal with you this morning on a soul level As we're transitioning, why don't you take just a minute, take just a minute and look inward to the inner you. What is the condition of your soul? God, I pray you would speak to us in the deep places that you administer life to us in those places. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to transition to our time of ministry and prayer. Our prayer team is going to come and take their places as they do every week. Is your soul weighed down today? Come and pray. Come and pray. Why? Because Jesus has promised you that when you come to him, which you're doing as you come and pray, when you come to him, you will find rest. Is your soul heavier than you want it to be? Come and pray. You will find rest. I know sometimes in the back you can't see if uh, there are people up here. There are people up here ready to pray uh, for you. Father, I pray that you would make these prayers effective. I pray that for those of us whose souls are weighed down, you would give us rest. In Jesus' name, amen. You come and pray as you're ready.